1: everybody, welcome back to another episode of Outside Looking In, the podcast series I've been doing wherein I talk to 29 other people about the NBA and what they think about the Raptors so that we can find at least somewhat of a consensus on the team that you so love and so that we can sneak in a really well-rounded idea of what the rest of the league looks like so you yourself can be one of the most informed fans as far as the NBA goes and today Shemit Dua comes to talk to us about the Pelicans. And he's, of course, a representative of the In The Know podcast, which is a Pelicans podcast with Boot Crew Media. And Shemit, how are you doing, man?
0: I'm doing well. I am excited that the NBA season is rapidly approaching. And I'm excited to be on this podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man. So the
1: first thing I want to talk about, of course, is just to sate everybody's appetite. I know any fan base I've ever heard of is constantly like, what do other people think of my team? And half of NBA Twitter conversations is competing conceptions of what, how good your team is, how good your young stars are, all that kind of stuff. So your flashbulb thoughts, the broad strokes, the Raptors, when I say that, what do you think of that team?
0: So immediately, my first thought with the Raptors are, uh, I think they're one of the best run organizations in the league. I think every team management ownership should aspire to be what the Raptors are and what they have been building over the last several years. Um, obviously I think Messiah giri has uh, been one of the most creative executives uh, that the league has seen in, in, in the last, I guess, decade or so. And and their success, you know, speaks from from the level of competence that the organization has. So I think that, that you know those are my thoughts on on the top of my head as far as their on court players go. I mean, what's not to like? I think just them building team six nine, uh, so to speak, building uh, uh, an array of switchable defenders who are also talented offensively, can play many different positions, can attack you for many different things, uh, is an exciting brand of basketball for for me to watch personally. I really enjoyed. Um, you know, lineups in, in playoff series in the recent past where they had, uh, you know, like OJ Ananobi playing center at times. And and I think there's a level of aggression and creativity that the that the Toronto Raptors bring that makes basketball less stale. And and it's because of their their players they're able to do that. You know, Fred VanVeet being an all-star last year, Pascal Siakam having an all-NBA year. Uh, there's a lot to like. And then, you know, that's before we even talk about Uh, Scotty Barnes, who's uh, going to be good for a very long time.
1: I'm curious what you think about the future facing aspect of the Raptors defense and this, you know, uh, there's a lot of players on the roster who exist between six foot six and six foot nine, and most of them have plus wingspans on top of that. You talk about being an aggressive defense and playing while bringing a less stale version of the NBA kind of to the front foot. What do you think about this as far as future facing? Do you think that this is something that other teams will attempt to adopt? Or do you think that they'll, with a lot of the things that happen, you know, as far as innovation at the NBA level, teams will try something and the softer points of what they're doing will work and teams will steal that. I'm curious what you think about the Raptors as far as building out maybe a smidge of the future of basketball or a huge chunk, I suppose.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I think a lot of teams are doing similar things. Now you look at the Clippers who uh, behind Paul George and Kawhi Leonard have also brought in an array of wing size players that, um are not dissimilar to to the Raptors in terms of their size and and length um, and their ability to be versatile on the floor. Uh, the Boston Celtics had a lot of success, you know, with with their array of wings before. now I think they're finding a little bit of a new groove now with Robert williams and and Al Horford back in in the mix. But prior to that, it was Gordon Hayward and Jalen Brown, and um, you know obviously Jason Tatum and Marcus Martin and all those players. But now they moved out of that era, um, so I guess there's, there, there's still versatility involved because Robert Williams and and Al Horford are very competent on the perimeter. So I think uh, teams are slowly recognizing that the more skilled players we can have at bigger sizes, the better off we're going to be, the more dangerous we're going to be. I don't think it's quite as simple as, "Hey, let me just go find player that's six six and it's it's versatile." Right? They have to be skilled, and and sometimes skilled players aren't very big, as as we're seeing with Fred VanVleet and and you know you look at the raptors and i think they show a level of aggression when it comes to team building in which they're willing to take risks and break sort of the mold in order to ensure they have the most skilled team on the floor and and i count defense as a skill uh in this i don't i don't mean just you know like everyone's got to have a dribble crossover pull up but I think the, the ability to switch, the ability to run multiple schemes over the course of one game, right? You know, Nick Nurse is going to throw out the triangle in two, and then all of a sudden, oh, we're boxing and wanting him. And then now we're going back to switching everything or just switching one through four, whatever it is. They're able to adapt to whatever the situation requires of them. Um, and, and to me, that's a skill. For, uh, and, and the Raptors are good at finding players who can either grow into that skill or already possess it.
1: That's, yeah, really well done. It's been it's been interesting to hear people talk about their conceptions of the Raptors. And that's, um, I think you're bang on with that. On the other side of things, I was doing the Pound the Rock podcast, I guess like a couple weeks ago, and it's a great league-wide podcast. And I was asked, who do you think is the most under-discussed team? And I said, hmm, Minnesota with Gobert maybe a little bit. But then I sat back and I said, wait, 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 might the Pelicans win the championship. And the host, Joe Wolfond, bent over and snapped his fingers and said, yes, they might. And I'm curious, the contender status of the Pelicans seems to me to be under-discussed considering Zion with the to-the-moon true shooting he brought. He's He can break any conventional defense that we've seen. And the Pelicans last year, with Brandon Ingram's ability to kind of organize offense, get to his own, own shot, playmake, Jonas Valanciunas is well above average at the NBA level. They have really interesting pieces like Herb Jones, Trey Murphy, all these types of guys. The contender status of the Pels, I'm curious how you see it currently. And if you don't think it's there, what would you like to see happen for them to reach that status?
0: Yeah, first and foremost, I mean, I I don't think it's there yet just because they have to earn it, right? They weren't even a team that was above 500 last season. Uh, they, they finished in the ninth seed and won out the playing uh, series and eventually made the playoffs and, and had a good battle with the Phoenix suns. But, and if you were to look at the team as a second half of the year team, then sure, you know, they're, they're, they're a good team because they include CJ McCollum and Brandon Ingram got healthy and that team, even without Zion, in, in my opinion, makes the playoffs this coming year. Uh, but to to sort of usher them into this contender space uh, before they have proven anything, before we have seen how Zion fits with, with this version of the Pelicans before we have seen who's going to stay healthy. Uh, I, I think it's, it's fair to say it's premature. And I don't think it's a criticism of the Pelicans uh, by any means. And, and I do think, you know, if they want to enter that conversation, it does depend on Zion. It does depend on the superstars. So, is Zion going to be a player who has a top 10 level impact in the league? Um, he's shown that he's capable of it. Can he do it for 70 plus games or, or you know, enough games to, to put the Pelicans in the contender status? Um, is Brandon Ingram going to take yet another leap and fit well with, with Zion Ingram? Uh, he played a lot of his uh, minutes on the ball last season. There's going to be a shared responsibility. What's that going to look like? And I think all of these are going to be fair questions. I do think the Pelicans are a deep team. I do think they are versatile in in the way they can play. They also have a lot of wings um, or, or like size players that allow them to play in, in many different fashions, but then they can, you know, they can beat you from the outside and inside. They have Jonas Valanciunas for certain matchups um, and he's been a productive player for them. In fact, I think before CJ got there, he was no question their second best player last year, and uh, at times he was carrying them through rough stretches when Brandon Ingram was was missing them games or missing games for them, and then and now uh, you have the ability to go small as well because Herb Jones is uh, taking a leap. You have Trey Murphy, who is uh, supposedly growing to 6'10". Uh, Larry Nance Jr.'s out there that allows you a, another versatile piece uh, to close with, and people talk about this idea of Zion at the five, and, I, and while I don't think that Zion's ever going to have the defensive responsibilities of the five, they're still going to be able to play similar lineups where Zion's you know one of those six 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 seven players in those lineups, and he's playing in space, and they're doing a lot of switching, and and... It's going to be an exciting brand of basketball. I do think they're going to score with anybody. Defense has got to be a question, and they have a lot to prove on that end.
1: When we think about the defense, then, what, what are you expecting? Because Zion, we saw, was being projected as a plus defender when he was at Duke. The ground coverage, the you know, unreal strength, and just be able to bounce and contest guys at the rim out on the perimeter, it, well he's just anytime there's a really great athlete people think defense will be good and there's some finer points of defense that get ignored but i'm curious what you think about his future as a defender but then also are the pelicans in your mind going to be you know how, how many minutes do you expect jv to play and that's going to be drop defense do you think that the guards like Devonte and cj will be good in lock and trail and how's the court coverage around that when they inevitably give up you know paint touches to guards and stuff like that or or dribble penetration i'm curious if you see a certain ceiling for this defense if things go well and where you might expect it to actually end up
0: no that's a great question it's no secret that zion has been disappointing as a defender in his limited time uh in the league and you know i think part of that as is due to just relative inexperience playing at nba speed and part of that's due to just conditioning issues and uh effort issues i don't think necessarily there's a processing issue there um i do think zion's a a a very quick processor and 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 sees the floor i i i just think that he's concerned he's been conserving his energy uh on the offensive end um and just really not putting the required effort on defense so we'll see if if willie green's able to get another level of defense out of him if his uh conditioning is in a better state uh this year than it has been in years past and you know what he looks like coming back from essentially not playing basketball for for over a year um there's there's a lot of questions there i don't think it would be fair on him or the pelicans to project him as like a positive defender this year but if he is that that just only means well for the pelicans because that makes them all the more dangerous um defensively i think they're going to be adequate because One, um, I think they're going to be one of the best rebounding teams in the league. They have been for the last few years, even without Zion uh, and the addition of Zion, even though he's not a a big presence on the defensive glass. He is one of the league's best offensive rebounders and the rebounding rates with him on the floor have always been good. Uh, So for one, they're going to they're going to end possessions. And that really helps um, just not allowing second chance points. Two, them being so good uh, on the offensive glass, uh, they were when when Zion was healthy, they were the league best offensive rebounding team by far. and And last year, I believe they were second, maybe first. Uh, I don't know, they were top three at least um, in in offensive rebounding. Again, an elite team with Jonas out there. And to having those two kind of presences attack the offensive glass really slows the opponent's transition game and and makes it so the Pelicans constantly aren't getting burned um on that end and then three if you're going to have a lot of interior scoring if you're going to have a lot of high percentage looks and you know like uh it would zion just scoring at the rim at like 60 percent that he does uh, jonas um efficiency from brandon Ingram and cj if you're going to be a good offensive team you're going to be playing a half court defense a lot um rather than uh having to run back off of misses so i think just off of those low-hanging fruits they're going to be adequate. i probably project them around somewhere between 15 to 20. Um, nothing special, nothing elite, just solid middle of the road. Uh, but I do think they're going to be able to put out defensive units that are very, very good. And and perhaps some of those units are going to be when Zion's off the floor. Uh, I mean, I don't think it's a, a criticism to say that, but you know, they're, they're going to be able to do lineups where, let's say Zion subs out, you're putting in, Herb Jones, you're putting in Jose Alvarado, you're putting in um, Trey Murphy, and you know maybe maybe Dyson Daniels for a rookie is going to be good this year. We're not we're not entirely sure, but they have they have the pieces. It's just about how they allocate the minutes. But I think you know I think they're going to be middle of the road, and that should be enough to make them a good team, not a contender, but a good team.
1: When you talk about interior scoring, Jones Valanciunas and Zion Williamson are probably going to be the most bully ball esque tandem that we that we've seen in the NBA in some time maybe even since we saw like i don't know if DeMarcus and AD count the last time they were in New Orleans but it's uh it's going to be something to behold i'm curious because it's not talked about often but the gravity well Zion is a very unique inflection point and in JV to a lesser extent about gravity inside the arc and so you know feel free to correct me i'm going to try and step out and see if i can detail why this works but it's the fact that Thaddeus Young, for example, on the Raptors, if he catches the ball anywhere between 16 and 10 feet, that is not a big deal. It's typically a win for the defense. If he's in that position to hit a shot, if there's a defense, like if there's a guy in front of him, it's not a big deal. But Zion, you can't lay off of him because if you allow him to catch with momentum in those spaces, he will find a way either, you know, using his steps or through the air of getting to the front of the rim or to the glass. And I think that's a really unique, unique thing that I saw discussed a little bit, but I'm curious how you view that situation and how his gravity might work uh, differently than how most fans um, perceive gravity to work is just the, the three ball.
0: Yeah. You know, it's fascinating. You, you brought up Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins. Those were two incredible interior presences um, when they were on the Pelicans and, um, you know, Davis to a lesser extent still is. Uh, And when those two were, were on the court, it was really, really hard for any team to key in on one one or the other. Because if they keyed in on DeMarcus, who was more of the, the post-presence, Davis would cut them up off of his cuts and athleticism and just being able to play above the rim. And then if you key in on Davis, you're seeding you're a one-on-one match to DeMarcus Cousins, which is not what any team wants. Um, and, and you're right that it's going to be a lot of the same when it comes to Zion. And frankly, I have not seen anything like it uh, except for maybe when when Giannis is is, is going uh, full on to the rim where there's 10 pairs of eyes or 10, not 10 pairs, 10 total eyes on on Zion anytime he touches the ball in, in any position. You know, there was a, a, a game in the season where he was last healthy. They were playing against the Mavericks and he was a primary ball handler and the Mavericks were so afraid of him that they were hedging and trapping him as soon as he crossed half court like he was one of the league's best pull-up shooters and and that is crazy because you know he attempts like a three every 10 games and and to to have that level of ball pressure um to have that level of fear of of him as a downhill opponent is is going to open up a lot of things for for everybody on the team and i think there's many different ways that they can be creative on offense utilizing that you know the first year of zion they used him primarily as a post presence uh getting in post touches as down low and then having the defense collapse that way and then the second year they really leaned into the whole point zion thing and they put the ball in his hands and allowed him to attack from beyond the three-point line allowed him to run pick and rolls allowed him to uh, attack in the open court and in both utilities he proved that like a historic level of efficiency and and so I think that that bores really well to when it comes to you playing with Jonas when it comes to playing with Brandon Ingram when it comes to playing with CJ you can already sort of see the different sets that they can do you know if perhaps you have Zion bringing the ball down the court and CJ is going to set a screen from him that's going to be an automatic mismatch the second that screen is set and a guard switches on to Zion they're they're toast. There's nothing that you can do about that. And, and on the flip side of it, if you commit two to Zion there, you're going to leave a wide open catch and shoot for CJ, who's been above a 40% catch and shoot player for his whole career, uh, essentially. So that's, you know, pick your poison, and, and they're both poisonous. They're both deadly. Um, so, you know, I'm I'm excited to see how he's going to continue to bend Defenses previously, they would load up on him and wall up on him, similar to how you play Giannis, and essentially force the Pelicans to beat them from the outside. Uh, prove that you can shoot. And and previously, the shooters were Lonzo Ball and Eric Bledsoe. And, and Lonzo Ball had a great shooting uh, stint with the Pelicans his two years that he was here. Um, improved uh in a lot of areas and and you know I think he was, ended up being like thirty eight percent, thirty-nine percent from three and on like seven attempts a game, which is really solid, but he had no semblance of gravity, right? And there's no one No team is ever going to be like, hey, you know what? We're going to not guard Zion and we're going to go guard Lonzo behind the arc. He had no semblance of gravity, Um, and Eric Bledsoe had neither, neither gravity nor the efficiency. And now I think it's a little bit different for the Pelicans because your primary perimeter threats are Brandon Ingram and CJ McCollum, and they're I think more dynamic players who even if they get run off the arc, they can create in the mid range. They can they can take advantage of of downhill situations and. uh, continue the advantage that they've been given that Zion's created for them. They can even create advantages themselves um, when, you know, when it comes to just playmaking, if, if they don't like the situation they're in, they can call for another screen and then create another um, angle of attack. So just the dynamic ability for the Pelicans to run a, a ton of different things. And Oh, the one thing I even forgot to mention is there's a lot of high, low action that they can use with Jonas and and Zion. And they already did uh, have a really good connection with Steven Adams uh, and Zion Williamson, which is ironic because Adams offers no space or scoring, but Zion, if you look at, if you look at his stats, when, when Adams was on the floor, he was still scoring at a 60% rate, you know? Uh, And that's just field goal percentage. We're not talking about true shooting. We're not talking about the the fact that he gets fouled almost every possession when he goes to the rim. We're just talking about just pure, uh, basket conversion, um, and and he was still converting at such a high rate. Now with Jonas, who can hit those twelve footers, you can hit those fifteen footers. Who also can get to the line, who can actually uh, put the ball on the floor for one dribble, establish a post up position, and you know, uh, and and get to a floater that's just going to create a ton of different opportunities for the Pelicans to just abuse teams uh, depending on the matchup. So um, I'm excited for what coach Willie green's going to do. He's been a part of the warrior system where they've gone small and perimeter oriented. And he's been a part of the sun system where they have done a mixture of things, you know, from uh, using Chris Paul, Devin Booker and uh, the perimeter weapons to also utilizing Deandre Aiden. Um So I'm, I'm very interested to see how, how they pull all this together. Brandon
1: Ingram and Pascal Siakam are often compared. Same draft class. Anytime there's redraft conversations, um, I believe each fan base will be in an uproar at the other being labeled above the other. Um, Career to this point, Pascal has had a better career. There's more accolades there. Brandon Ingram is much younger. And Brandon Ingram, you can certainly make the case, has a higher upside um, on offense. But both are... I think that they give you roughly the same impact on offense so far. And I think that the thing that has made me most impressed by both of them is their ability to navigate tight spaces. And when defenses are good at taking away first and second options for their ability to maneuver and manipulate with the third. Brandon Ingram, I think for a lot of people was like, okay, they weren't sure how he was going to develop. But this patient, methodical and practiced point of attack decision maker I think is a really unique aspect of his game, especially as some of the shot making has had highs and had lows, but as far as being a guy who's on ball and will continue to press the defense and pressure them and make good decisions. Once they respond in kind, that's something that has impressed me immensely. And Pascal Siakam, especially seen in the playoffs against the 76ers, when Fred was injured, when Gary Trent was injured, when Scotty Barnes was injured, constantly going, to the, going down the checklist of things that were evaporating for advantages, but still trying to make the defense respond to him and making shots. It's, I think that's something they both excel at. I'm curious what you think about Pascal Siakam, just from the outside looking in, because they, they are comparison points. So I wonder if you've ever gone and done like a deep dive, like, oh yeah, I like Pascal better for this. I like Brandon better for this. I'm curious how you, how you compare those two.
0: I love Siakam. Uh, I I think he's one of the most fun players in the league, both from a personality standpoint, but also just watching him play. Uh, you know, you put the ball in his hands, you put him in the open court. Uh, the things that he's able to do from a playmaking standpoint, and the fact that he's continued to develop his game um, over over so many years. There's just very little to like about a uh, lot to like about that, and and the fact that he also uh is such a good defender uh for his position which is which is key and something that ingram has struggled with in the past to, to make a noticeable um impact on on, on that end so I, I love siakam and oddly enough you know what's funny is i think that siakam and Ingram would be a really good pair together yeah. in terms of um where siakam's strengths lie and and where ingram's strength lie like ingram is a tremendous like pressure release valve you know he can create a shot uh from anywhere on the court and, and he loves getting to that mid-range spot in I I think that Ingram is a more effective player in the half court, while Siakam is not. I'm not saying he's ineffective in the half court, but he's a better player in the open court than Ingram. So I think, like in terms of their relative strengths, you put that combo together, and sometimes Siakam gets in trouble. Where if he's going downhill, his jumper may not be as good as Ingram's. Um, So if he had a player like Ingram, it's kind of like the Giannis and Chris Middleton thing, right? Where like Giannis has Chris Middleton as a release valve, and that. Really, it, like takes Giannis's game to the next level when those two are playing together. Same thing when they introduced Drew to that equation. And so, if if Siakam had a wing like uh, Ingram, who could score on all three levels and you know create on his own and run pick and rolls, that's in my opinion the exact kind of player that uh, the the Raptors have been missing in terms of shot creation uh and and which was also not why they uh, not surprising why they were so in on kevin durant who is the epitome of that kind of player like the best version of that kind of player you could possibly have um you know i think ingram what's really cool about him similar to siakam is he has every year come back with something new in this game and and just his dedication to the craft dedication to not being complacent while after reaching a certain status has been the most impressive aspect of, of him as a, as a player to me because I had my doubts uh, on Ingram when the Pelicans first traded for him. I was not a fan um, prior to the Anthony Davis trade. I thought, you know, in three years in LA, he had been an inefficient um, player who like serves, His best role with the ball in his hands But it wasn't quite good enough to warrant having the ball In his hands as much as he did And I thought there would be questions with a Zion fit And at every corner uh, He has proven me wrong He He has improved upon every facet Of this game that I had questions about To the point where um i simply trust him at this point without without any reservation and so last year was a big improvement on the defensive end for him uh simply from an engagement standpoint a lot of just being six nine with a seven three wingspan is hey just be long out there like put your arms out you're gonna deflect shots you're gonna deflect passing the balls in the passing lanes you're gonna impact things just you have to put the bare minimum effort right and and that's not something uh, that was consistently there in the past, and and it was more so than effort. And you know, his rotations is is cleaning up a lot of stuff where where there was holes on the Pelicans perimeter uh, at times when Devonte was out there. Um, he was a big part of the Pelicans on the offense and and defensive end. And their record without him, I think they were like three and 20 or something in the games that he missed i I don't know the exact record but it was terrible it was the opposite of the john morant uh memphis grizzlies where they were like 20 and two without it but it was like the stark opposite uh reflects you know the the level of impact that ingram had and so if with, with the redraft conversations it's always tough uh when you have players of that caliber and i think any team would be lucky to have either player uh, obviously I have to, to go for Ingram being, being the person who covers the Pelicans. Uh, in, and my reason, my, my fact-based reasoning, uh, on this is, is the age where Ingram, uh, you know, he was 24 last season's going into, he's going, he actually just turned 25. Um, I believe. And, and Siakam first made the all-star game at 25. Right. And that's when, that's when his, his career like really like took a leap. And so, um, if Siakam has shown that he can continue improving at 25, 26, 27, I'm excited to see where Ingram's game takes him um, if they're already comparable players uh, at this moment. But yeah, I mean, I think Siakam right now is, is definitely the better defender and um, someone actually what's ironic is when he was in, Trade com- rumors when um, Siakam wasn't trade rumors. I think more so in the year past than this year because this year he had a really good year. the The year before that it was was a slight down year based off of expectations. I mean, it's still a good year nonetheless, but I think people had greater expectations for him uh, going into that year, and there was just like, oh well, they just gave Siakam a five year deal and he didn't necessarily live up to it. Like maybe maybe they should move him, and um, and that was when and I think Kyle Lowry was still on the team. And there was a lot of like. Uh, question marks about where w- which direction the Raptors are going to go next. And, and, and some of that talk crescendoed a little bit more when, when Scotty Barnes was drafted, right. They were like, Hey, these two players do a lot of similar things on the court um, in terms of, you know, being good, really good with the ball in their hand and uh, being able to get downhill and, and play make off of that and just being athletic on the wing. So what what's the future there? And I was like, you know the Pelicans—they have some expirings. They should just go trade for Siakam, and they're like, well, I don't care if he doesn't fit with Zion. I would figure out that fit. It doesn't matter. You just take talented players. But um, it, it definitely seems like Siakam's uh, not going anywhere for good reason. Because I think when you look at markets across the NBA, the last time a major like All Star uh, like left in free agency was when was it was it when Kyrie and and, and Kd left. And, and they decided to go to Brooklyn. I mean, stars just don't hit free agency um, and, and you should never be in a situation where like, oh, I'll, I'll have cap space and I can just attract star X, Y, Z. That never happens. I, I think if you're a team that's not L.A. or not New York and even those teams, you should do whatever it takes to get stars. And once you have stars, do whatever it takes to hold on to them, because those people are not like Piazco Siakam's never walking into any organization's door um, by, by happenstance. Brandon Ingram is not just, you know, like there's never going to be a Brandon Ingram on free agency. that's going to be like, I'm going to go to the Pelicans. So like teams should do whatever they can to hold on to those type of players. And that's sort of been my philosophy. And and that's why I applaud the Cavs for making the play they did for, for Donovan Mitchell. Like, Hey, it's a 24 year old, 25 year old all-star. Like, where are you ever going to get that? Like, you have to get extremely lucky in the draft, and even then it takes a few years, so just go oh, get that player and and figure out the lesson later.
1: Trust in good faith from your, I guess, your fan base to just accept that big swings are being made, whether it's a yeah. good outcome or a bad outcome, yeah. The, um, the interesting aspect of everything is, I had this conversation with Nakia, so we're not going to do the Raptors starting, closing lineup thing, but I'm interested because, as you say, like there's, the Pelicans are deep. They have players who conceivably could get better. They have players who are very good, but are a little bit scheme limited like Jonas Valanciunas who will play big minutes, win minutes, but maybe some games, he isn't a guy who ironclad you will close with. I'm curious what your starting lineup is for the Pelicans and what your, let's say heaviest minute closing lineup you would want it to be for the Pelicans. And if those are the same, then those are the same.
0: For sure. Um, you know, I the starting lineup is more, more than likely going to be C.J. McCollum, Brandon Ingram on the perimeter, um, Zion at the Zion spot, whatever that is, uh, Herb okay. Jones as your defend-everybody player, and, and Jonas Valanciunas as, as uh, your big man. Um, so that's going to be your starting lineup. It was very similar to last year's starting lineup, except you're trading Jackson Hayes for Zion Williamson, which I, I struggle to think of a bigger upgrade happening in the league right now um unless you know you count whoever Kawhi is going to replace in in the, in the right. starting lineup for for the And Clippers. even even Amir Coffee is pretty damn good so you know <laughs> <laughs> Right um so so last year's proof of concept with Jackson Hayes uh in that lineup was fascinating to see because he doesn't have anywhere near the perimeter skills of Zion and obviously he's not going to score at the rate that Zion did but those lineups were were very effective um you know they I forget the the, the net ratings that they had but they were they they won their minutes um and it just sort of showed you could put a non-shooter in those lineups um with another shooter that doesn't necessarily get respect in in Herb Jones um and and obviously people aren't like clamoring and chase Jonas out behind the three-point line either and And those lineups were still extremely good offensively. So when you're putting a guy like Zion in there for Jackson Hayes, I think it just shows that there's going to be at least in the regular season uh, no issues operating offensively in my in my opinion. As far as a closing lineup goes, I would very much like to see Trey Murphy um in there. I think he he deserves a bigger role. i'm I really think he's poised for a breakout season. He's probably the best shooter on the pelicans. I, I think he's it's a tough awesome. one yeah i think it's a tough one between like him and cj in terms of cj's just pure versatility when it comes to shooting and 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 shot creation whereas from a pure like standstill shooting point um or uh trey is definitely better like if you were to ask who's going to make a um, who's got the best uh, percentage out of a hundred shots uh, put up? Like, it's gonna be Trey, but CJ might give you a little more on the versatility end. But I would want Trey out there. Um, Brandon Ingram and Herb Jones and Zion are non-negotiable, so those are four. And I think the fifth one's got to be matchup-dependent for me. Um, it'd be cool to have CJ out there. And I think just from in terms of him being the team vet and like how like locker room politics play out, that like, he's probably going to close every single game. I like, hard to imagine they bench him. Um, for, uh, for any capacity. So if it's those five, that'd be really cool. Um, and if it's not those five, what's probably going to happen? It's, it's CJ, Herb, Zion, Brandon, um, and then like Larry Nance instead of Trey or, or it might, it might be Jonas for certain matchups. And so, you know, it, it depends like if you're out there with with Embiid or or Valanci- uh, not Valanciunas, Jokic, um, do you try to even go small against those teams, or do you leave Jonas out there? I think I don't think there's a right answer per se uh, when when it comes to that. Um, and likewise, when you're playing against a team like the Clippers, do you try to match their small ball, or do you just try to bully them with your own size? And I think the Pelicans did both things last year they had a game where Jonas went off for 35 points against the clippers and, and abused and and they played him out till he closed the uh, um the game and then in the play-in um Jonas did not close the game and they closed with with larry nance um and i and they had trey murphy who was a big catalyst of of winning that game they were they went down 10 before the fourth quarter they slipped trey murphy in um they had shooting they had shot creation they had switchability on defense And they uh, mounted that huge comeback and they won the playing game against the Clippers going small, beating them at their own game. So it just speaks to the level of versatility they have. But I think those three combinations would be my preferred combinations of closing lineups. And if I had to say which one got the most minutes, I think the one with Larry at the five gets the most minutes for now, simply because Willie green goes to his vets a little more um, than his younger players. But I, I hope Trey's play. Uh, this season makes that not even a question. And the
1: the final thing I'll ask you then is sometimes people do, sometimes people don't. The Raptors are a team that hold a place in the NBA's consciousness. And so some players have outsized perceptions in other teams' minds. Is there anybody on the Raptors that you find particularly interesting? We, we've talked about Siakam. Um, Scotty Barnes we talked about a little bit but when you look at that team are there guys that interest you either if it's their their statistical profile the the flair of their aesthetic game anything like that
0: yeah um well you know I would say what interests me from less like an encore perspective more from what's going to happen next standpoint is Gary Trent um I, you know I think he's coming up on a new contract fairly soon and and mm-hmm. I wonder what what the Raptors are going to do with him because I, I think he is a good player. And, and the fact that, again, he's like six, 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 seven, he can shoot the lights out uh, of the ball. That's a player that every team wants. Uh, uh, and so where with the direction the Raptors are going and the size of his contract, he's immediately one of the more tradable players. So if they're seeking to upgrade at any spot, bring in one of these so-called all-stars that might become available, he immediately sort of fits the bill in terms of, okay, if we want to make a trade happen, his money works um to to get us there because i think there's not like a terrible uh, like a terribly large amount of like contracts the raptors would be happy to move um that are mid-sized and, and and trents just works in that range that allows you to go small or big depending on the trade that you want um so i'm interested in see what happens with him um and i'm interested to see i, I think og and anobi just the sort of hullabaloo about him being quote-unquote upset with his role like how much of that is really true how much of that is going to reflect you know uh on his new role coming this season is he going to get more touches is there is their offense going to be driven uh, more through him or, or what's that going to look like and again he's one of those players where i thought when he signed his deal it was relatively undervalued um i thought for sure he's going to get 100 plus million dollars but what's interesting about him is he has a player option and that gives him the ability to opt out early and and test the 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 free agency or the marketplace again and and because of that player option again there's just not a lot of time left on his contract that's gonna that decision's gonna come up sooner than you think and i think the raptors are a little bit at a crossroads with some of their rotation players in terms of hey should we go ahead and commit fully to this team should we be actively aggressively looking for upgrades are we content on let's say if og wants something close to a max he's probably not going to get a max in in this marketplace and i don't think any uh, other team's going to give him to a max but i think he's going to ask for a lot of money on his next contract um and i think that's entirely fair and so uh, what what's where do you draw the line when it turns to compensating him um for for his next deal and and if it's if if he wants more than he's extension eligible for you know that's, that's a little bit of an issue and um Especially with the new cap jump coming up, so it's like what what's going to happen? There's so many like different things that can happen, and I think the Raptors. I don't think Masai's ever been a, an executive just to be complacent, so that's what makes it super intriguing. Um, and especially with how in they were on the Kevin Durant conversations. I do. I, I am so curious to see which direction they go and how aggressive they're going to be to to sort of land this next star because they really are currently built. Uh, for that one more like all-star to come in and and then just be a powerhouse um in in the east you know we talk about and that's kind of been the case for the last few years as soon like right after Kawhi left because Kawhi was that one all-star that one um you know organization defining guy who can just like come in and elevate you to, to to championship status and i don't think they need someone as good as Kawhi to get on that next level but i still do think they need an all-star uh, level player. And, and I don't know who that's going to be given this current marketplace and, and how the Raptors are going to get there. So it, do they, as these contract decisions come up, reach a point where they're unable to get this guy and transition into a rebuild and focus more on building around Scotty or, um, you know, do they, do they stay steady with this court? Because, fred og pascal gary trent if they were to pull a jazz at any point they would have 45 million picks uh and because everyone wants those players (laughs)
1: they they definitely that was when you're talking about pascal and like hey trade for that guy uh denver has probably said man the perfect guy to play in the front court with Jokic is pascal minnesota probably said man the perfect guy to play with cat is pascal gobert is interesting but you know as far as the the fit pascal and cat would be really interesting golden state they're like man pascal would fit really well on this team there's just every contender probably because of how portable pascal is despite not being an incredible above the break three-point shooter he's a really unique player and og has the same thing fred has the same thing it's just yeah they have the the championship dna and then the the skill sets that are proven on both sides of the court it's a you well personally, I hope, and the the people listening obviously want that to happen uh, in in Toronto. So we'll see how that shakes out. It'll be the inverse,
0: I suppose. Right. You you guys have invested a lot in those players, both emotionally and, and and on the court, and just to sort of see their journey. And you know, I think there's always. I I mean, I don't know what this is like, but there's probably always something special about winning that first championship with a set of players, and 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 holding on to that, and that colors a lot of decisions. I think for the front office as well. It's it's, they're human at the end of the day. And sure, it's easy to be a cold, hard, calculated machine and be like, well, I can just trade this guy for (laughs) Kevin Durant and we might win another one. But, you know, just even when you had to trade DeRozan for Kawhi, that's not an easy decision for anybody. And, and uh, we've read about and seen about how that impacted the players on that team. Um, uh, You know, we've read about how upset Kyle Lowry was and stuff. So like none of of this is easy. And which is why I think wrapped everyone should keep an eye on how the Raptors are going to operate in, in the next few years, because it's never, it's never something boring with them. It's always something creative and, and it's always something surprising. So I'm, I'm excited to see what happens.
1: Fingers crossed for interesting years for both franchises. But I think that brings us to the end of the pod, which means now is your opportunity to plug away. If you have anything interesting that you're working on or think people should be tuned into that you have done in the past. Where they should follow you, all that kind of stuff. Plug away, dude.
0: Yeah, you can just you can follow me at Fear the Brown on Twitter, and my work is going to be on Boo Crew Media. Primarily going to be podcasting and doing small video blogs about the Pelicans and and some of the league events. Which, um, like, if there's anything like today with the Robert Sarver news, there's going to be a lot to talk about in the future.
1: <laughs> that's man, that's crazy. That whole situation. We won't get into it now because that's a. <laughs> You write a thesis paper about the implications of Sarver and, like, the, the politics of the NBA. Oh my we we gosh. can't do it now, but it's no. it's wild. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I guess uh, we'll get out of here. Thank you for coming on, man. And listeners, uh, viewers, whether it's YouTube or on the podcast channel, thanks for tuning in. I hope you stepped away from this learning a lot about the Pelicans and valuing what was said about the
0: Raptors as well. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day, and uh, we'll see you.